Welcome to the Sum of It All Curious Schools podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague, Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And we're excited to be with you today. This season, we're exploring the book, Building a Curious School, Restore the Joy That Brought You to School by Brian Goodwin. And today we're wrapping up the book by discussing part five, Curious for Good. Transcripts to our podcasts are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. So let's dive in. Well, Audrey, let's dive in with a quote Uh, from this section. It goes like this. We know from research that curiosity can spark little moments of delight that can make life more enjoyable. I love that phrase, little moments of delight. And, you know, it makes me think of that dose of anticipation. And the example that the author gives is, is like this really simple thing um, you know, when you're listening to music and you put it in shuffle mode and the author mentions how that idea of putting music in shuffle mode or that random play mode, that that, that is part of building that anticipation that can give us that, that sense of delight as we're listening to music. And I just did not have ever thought of that as like a curious moment. <laughs> yeah, I had not thought about that either, about that connection between joy and curiosity before I read the section. And I totally do this when I'm driving to work um, and the commute is less than enjoyable. I totally (laughs) pick the random shuffle mode on my playlist. And um, when I'm on a walk in between like a tense meeting or something that's coming up that I need to be really prepped for, like I do that for a pick me up. And I, I just had never thought about before about how that might position me in a stance of feeling both joy and maybe a little bit more open to curiosity moving into the next part of my day. Yeah, yeah, such a great point. And you know, Audrey, as we're getting into the the episode today, it really, this gives me a lot of hope. I don't know about you, because like this idea of something so simple as a shuffle playlist that that we're getting this moment of delight, um, it makes me excited about thinking as we go through our episode today, what are like little things that we can do in the educational landscape that that might create more moments of delight for our students? I love that. you know, one of the things that happens pretty early on in, in this section is this idea of the study of, of college students. And, and I want to read a quote from that, Audrey. And it says, on days when they felt more curious, they, meaning the college students, reported more persistence, goal-directedness, and greater life satisfaction and meaning. So that really sent me down a rabbit hole, Audrey, because I started thinking like, I step back and say, is part of the purpose of school, is it to create happy people? Because, you know, we, we obviously hear lots about the academic end of things. And in, in recent years, there's been more of an emphasis around making sure SEL is, is part of the, uh, the work. Um, but like, I don't think I've ever really quite put it that way before um, in terms of creating happy people. Um, if students are less curious, do we have students who are less happy? That's a great question, you know, and I've heard a lot of folks around our area who are really thinking about this idea of a portrait of a graduate, or what do students look like when they finish their their system, and students and stakeholders alike say something about wanting to be happy and balanced and feeling good about themselves and their lives, and um, you know, I recognize that what one of the things we try to do in order to support that is embed social emotional learning in the classroom. But I think that just like 
Um, most things in education, we really plan for like this mythical average, like mm. student, like we think of our kids as widgets in a factory and that like, if we do X, Y, and Z, they're going to be little happy things coming out the other end. And I just think happiness is more complicated than that. I think we view it differently. I think even if you and I were to describe what, it, what makes us happy and what pushes into us leaving at the end of the day, feeling happy, I think we would describe different things. And so it makes me wonder um, if we've gone too generic with factory model-ish SEL check-ins, if we've treated it like every student might, you know, by their, you know, by doing those mm. things, thereby become happy and not think about maybe the bigger depth behind happiness or how it might vary between students um, and cultures and people. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you bringing that in because I think uh, any time in education that we have a something new that's that's coming in or something that's rebooted like SEL, it, it can be done in such a way that becomes a checklist. And um, this is really reminding me how that if, if our goal is happiness, uh, it, these things are way more complex than, than a checklist, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So, you know, in this section, Audrey, there is this something called musings. Um, and in these musings, um, the, the, the idea is, is, is thinking about how to help students translate curiosity into a greater sense of well-being. So just continually trying to see how, you know, we have this cause and effect of how we get curiosity to create this effect of well-being. Um, what about any of those musings uh, resonated with you? Yeah, you know, the first one, um, find your wonder. I thought it was, I, there's a small note here about like a student who's an undecided college major and the advice that was given to um, the father of this student was to just ask her what problems she wants to solve. Mm. Like instead of focusing in on what do you want to major in, what do you want your life's work to be like, what problem do you want to solve? And, you know, they talk about that we are often happiest when we're learning, when we're pursuing knowledge that's just over the horizon. And that sometimes feels big to me. And I really appreciate that the author noted that they don't have to be big questions and wonderings. Like, mm. I don't have to say I'm going to solve world hunger or, you know, yeah. like I don't have to put it, but I can say, I can look at something within my community. I can look at something with my realm of influence and say like, I want to solve this problem. I want to figure out how to do this better. I want to figure out how to do this at all. Um, and that small questions like that can be really energizing um, for your curiosity and ultimately then impact your happiness. Yeah. You know what I appreciate about what you just said, Audrey, is that it allows me as a student to walk in the door to my classroom with my culture with my background, um, with the things that matter to me and make connections to those. I think so often our students come to school and they have to sort of um, take off uh, one part of themselves and put on the school self. And so um, I really think there's a much greater possibility of them bringing um, their whole self uh, into whatever the, the exploration is. And so I really appreciate that with, with what you were saying. Uh, one of the musings that, uh, resonated with me is that second one, Audrey, and it, it's stop, look, and listen. And the quote from that section says, simply looking at things in a different light can make our familiar sound surroundings new again and provide us with small moments of joyful curiosity. And you know what my mind went to with this, Audrey, is I'm thinking about mathematics and the teaching and learning of mathematics. Um, I think so many of the things that in mathematics that are presented in school math are, are not presented in a joyful light. 
<laughs> there's there, I'm thinking of a dark gray kind of like <laughs> in the shadows <laughs> you know like sort of like you know like ooh that's let's stay away from that you know um but like it's like I, I it seems hopeful to say let's look at this in a new light let's let's look at prime numbers in a way where we're we're looking to see what patterns we notice in the prime numbers um and, and, and how that could be something joyful to discover. Um, so I, I think that that's really interesting to think about with our math lessons and, and how this joyful curiosity could blossom for our students. I appreciate that. And I, you know, like that idea of stop and look and think about what's right there. I, I just really appreciate the fact that, um, you know, so many of the routines that you and I have talked about recently, like the same and different and the, which one doesn't belong, like there can be so much curiosity and joy there. And sometimes it's, it's just stopping and saying like, wait, what if I go back to a compare and contrast? What if I have students wonder aloud about what they see in this picture or notice um, that in those moments that we have an opportunity to take something that's small and interesting to our students and let them explore and expand on that um, and pursue some, some joy in the moment, um, which mm, I think mm -hmm. is, is valuable. You know, the author makes that connection between what we're talking about and that this fact that happiness is right under our noses, like that's the phrase he uses. What did you think about that? Well, I, I on page 156, this quote really set me thinking about a lot of things, Audrey, and it says, looking for answers to help others. And, you know, <clears throat> that really resonated with me. And the reason it did is because, Audrey, you and I have been talking about you know, high quality tasks for a long time and, and thinking about how we get those types of tasks in front of students. And we've also been pushing our thinking around how can those tasks be more culturally responsive? How can they be more connected to our students' lives? Um, but after reading this, I'm really thinking about not only could it just connect to their lives, but how could it connect to a situation, a real life situation where there's this potential to do good, to help other people, and uh, I think sometimes in our scenarios that are real life, they're about big issues. You mentioned this a couple of minutes ago, like, you know, big world issues. And, and we might have statistics in those problems. We may have uh, other things that, that sort of paint the picture of, of maybe even doom and gloom or, or something like that. But like, there could be something in the very neighborhood that the students live in that could be a project that is a project that's gonna help others and then wouldn't it be exciting to have kids bump into math along the way as they engage in that project? And I just think we could get kind of a twofer there, right? Like we could get like this engagement with others, this helping others with that curiosity, but then we also could bump into mathematics along the way. So I, I'm really excited about thinking about that. I, I think that's powerful. I think it's really powerful to look at our students and say like, you don't have to wait until you're an adult to affect change. Like it's not what change are you gonna do when you grow up, but it's what change um, and what do you wanna do to help others right now? And you know, I know we've talked about helping locally. Students can help outside of their local situation too and help um, others who are much farther away from them than they ever anticipate. But I think it's about the size of, of change that we ask of them. So, and I appreciate you mentioning that Mark is that like, there's benefit in showing students a worldview of things and how do we make it the right size where they feel like they can start to take action and impact and how do they then feel afterwards um, around those pieces. So I appreciate you bringing that up. 
Um, the author also shares a couple of tools, like this, this, this section is full of really um, just so much stuff. Um, one of the tools they talk about is creating a curiosity journal. And what I appreciated about that is um, a couple years ago when our team got together and wrote distance learning curriculum, our middle school units um, created something called a thought catcher, which sounds like almost exactly like a curiosity journal. And we modeled it after some great thinkers like Da Vinci and Einstein and others have done where they kind of take something along with them as they experience the world. And every time they wonder something, they wrote it down. Um, and I think it's both of those folks that I mentioned who had in their journals, like, why is the sky blue? Like they both mm. wondered it and they just wrote it down and they had some thoughts around it. Um, it was literally just a space to capture all of the wonderings they had in life. And some of them became things that later on in their day and their week in the month, they went back to explore further. And some of them were just left alone and as curiosities. But that idea of, of having students create these can be really powerful. Teachers too, about capturing where natural curiosity just kind of bumps into you in your day to day work um, as you go about life. What did you think about, about them, Mark? Well, it, it, within this section, as you know, Audrey, there's these subheadings and one is called look a little closer. One is consi uh, consider what makes people tick. And, you know, a lot of this, Audrey, as I was reading, it took me all the way back to season one of our podcast. Remember Thinking Classrooms? Yes. Uh, Peter Lilliadal's work. And, um, you know, the look a little closer section in this book um, it really brought me back to the whole idea of math journals and, and, you know, brought me back to my own fifth grade classroom and thinking about how I had math journals. And then of course, I, I didn't want to stay there for long because I'm like, oh my gosh, it was an exercise in mimicry. It was, it was about like students, are you writing down that in your journal? And yeah. what are they doing? They're copying off the board what I just wrote down. So Audrey, I just painted a picture that was the exact opposite of what you were talking about with Da Vinci and Einstein. <laughs> there was no curiosity going on with my students at all. So, you know, like just thinking about like, what is puzzling my students and what, is, what are they thinking about? What is the curiosity? What are the mysteries they're wondering about with mathematics? The puzzles they're trying to solve. Um, those are the things that I think um, are, are, are the things that would be really exciting to, uh, to make sure that we include in a journal, right? Absolutely. And I think as a teacher, it would be, um, it would help my own curiosity continue to grow and feel um, pushed when I would see those things from students. And I think to ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to help develop students into feeling like they're mathematicians. And I really believe that's the work mathematicians do is they wonder and they take some of their wonderings further and they explore something. And so I really think that there's a, there's a great tie there. Yeah, and, and then the other connection to uh, Thinking Classrooms, Audrey, is that the section that's called Consider What Make People Tick. And again, I was thinking about Peter's work with randomized groupings, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that opportunity when we create randomized groupings and each day or every couple of days, kids have a new set of people to work with. I was thinking, wow, what potential there for having some quick activity or some norm where when kids get together with each other, they have some way of expressing their curiosity about each other. And the, just a super cool thing about randomized groupings is as that spills over a course of months, kids have had a chance to be with each other the entire class and have those moments of curiosity. So I'm wondering what's the sort of loose, tight um, way of guiding that to happen 
with it being able to be natural, but still have some facilitation to make sure that kids are doing that with each other, maybe before they start the math problem, right? Yeah, I think that sounds like a great idea. Well, there was another piece of this um, chapter I found really interesting, which was um, a conduct an interest inventory tool. And on pages 159 to 160, they have all these questions about like, what are you curious about? What brings you joy? All these things. And I remember taking a test like this not open-ended it had like a bubble and sheet in high school <laughs> and at the end of the test they spit back results to you about what kind of career you should have did you take one of these mark i i think i did i think <laughs> i scored architect <laughs> nice well i scored um car mechanic and oh, that career did not work out for me um the way i planned um actually i don't have a lot of interest and actually how cars work and run, um, which is funny that it should come up that way. But I think if they had zoomed out, like if at that time, you know, they had zoomed out from why it labeled me into car mechanic and said, oh, you like to tinker with things and mm. you like to have something actually work when you tinker with things. Like you don't like to just tinker for the sake of, you know, messing around, but you want it to work at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and that helping people, like getting people to have a car that works <laughs> is I think the piece that I probably said, yes, that matters to me. Like helping people get something that's working for them matters greatly to me. And so like, I think that's why education has been a fulfilling career for me. Is that if you zoomed out to the right level, you would see the pieces that um, make their, my curiosity match with my happiness, I guess. Like, how does this work? And can I help people? And all of those things that are coming to fruition in this chapter. Um, so I appreciate the inventory that was there as a tool um, and in the chapter. Yeah, the, the thing about that too, Audrey, is I'm thinking like, you know, how do, we, how do we have our students engage in that, even from a young age, really just to start to think about their interest and pursue them. So I think that's a great point. Um, you know, Audrey, as, as we finish up this particular section, uh, I just thought I'd call out to our listeners, if, if you're pressed for time, um, uh, this epilogue, uh, this last section is, is really kind of cool because it, not only does it allow us to look back on some of the things the author has mentioned throughout the book, um, it, it gave me some, uh, some uh, motivation in terms of call to action and thinking what, what might be able to happen next. Uh, one of the things that jumped out at me is this section that, or this quote that says, curiosity as a nicety. In other words, um, I think sometimes when we hear the word curiosity um, and we, we think about like, that's an extra, that's something that you do once you, once you covered your content and kids have their basic skills. Um, and, you know, I started thinking about that with some of the things that are mentioned. There's a, a quote by Linda Darling Hammond. And, um, you know, it made me start thinking about and reminding me of the fact that this is an equity issue. Um, a lot of times the students that are able to engage in tasks that are more activating curiosity, those tend to be the students that are sort of designated as advanced or they, they're, they've completed this and now they get to do this. Um, and I think that many times uh, this is done in a very inequitable way. And I think it's something for us to really acknowledge. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mark. I, I think it's an important point to notice who gets to be curious in your class and who finds joy in the work we're doing and how do we how do we think about changing that dynamic yeah for sure and and you know one of the quotes that i really thought was a, just a great way to summarize this audrey is a, at the top of 168 it says teachers who are curious about their students curious about their profession and curious about the subjects they teach and you know audrey i think it's just helpful for 
us to think about like, what are some simple ways that teachers can keep that curiosity going? Yeah, you know, there's, I think there's a, a an illusion that it has to have a lot of time to it. So like, I'd like to share just a quick story and maybe you can help me tell the story is when I started at the county office um, five, six years ago now, um, I inherited a whole bunch of different supplies from previous people who'd been in the position. Um, and one of them was a box of pattern blocks. And as a high school teacher, like I had never played with pattern blocks. So I opened up the box, um, had that lovely musty smell of any kind of manipulative <laughs> left in a closet too long. Um, right. And I started playing around with them. And I turned to you, um, you know, we were both busy trying our best to like put things in the right places, get things planned. I'm trying to move things off of my desk into some kind of storage and like, do I need this? Do I not need this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember asking you like, what are these white rhombuses for? Do you remember that? Right, I, I remember. And if, I think the first thing I told you is when with my students, the first thing we did was remove all the white rhombuses. Yes, or that's I exactly. did. I did, because I mean, they didn't fit with the other shapes. You know, when we're doing fraction work with pattern blocks, and by the way, shout out to using uh, pattern blocks for fractions. <laughs> that's another episode sometime. Um, but like, yeah, that's the first thing I think I told you. I said, yeah. we remove those. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but you know what, Audrey? You didn't stop there though, right? Like, I, like <laughs> you. You did not, your curiosity could have stopped in that moment, but it did not. It did not because I was, I had this feeling that they had to have a purpose. And that's probably a downfall of mine is like, if they're in the box, there's a purpose for them. There's a lot of these little white rhombuses sitting in this box. Like, what are they worth? Um, and so I think I asked the question, I'm sure we could mm -hmm. figure this out. Like, what could they be worth? And you know, we spent, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes talking mm -hmm. about it. And then we had a lot of other things to do. So I yes, stuck the lid back on the box and I stuck it in a cabinet, you know, went on my day. But for the next week, we kept coming back just a couple mm -hmm. minutes at a time saying, you know, I, I keep thinking about those white rhombuses and mm -hmm. using geometry to think we can prove what we thought they were worth and asking some more questions. Um, and eventually getting to a place where we've asked questions of um, probably hundreds of teacher leaders now um, and thinking about how much are those white rhombuses worth. And you know, what's funny is like that fits in that mold of something that's right beneath our noses. Mm -hmm. Something about being small. It's something about um, that I can make a difference on and I can think about. I'm not sure if I'm helping others, but I kind of hope that I'm helping others and saying like, can we find use for this? Like, is there a usefulness mm -hmm. for this thing that keeps getting shipped to us in our pattern block kits? Um, mm -hmm. And to the point that like, you know, that can ignite curiosity um, in those small conversations you have with colleagues sometimes. Yeah, yeah great point. Uh, thanks for thanks for telling that story. Um, I, I'm going to just close with a favorite set of phrases that I have on page 170, Audrey. Um, and I'm just going to read this these couple sentences here. Uh, it says, in the end, the most important and encouraging thing about curiosity is that it's already within all of our students waiting to be unleashed. Though others may suppress it, it's still there like a cork held underwater, waiting to pop back to the surface as soon as we release it again. So uh, looking back at the book, Audrey, what are your biggest takeaways? You know, Mark, I really appreciate that idea of a cork bobbing to the surface. And um, just a couple of pages before that, it said, imagine for a moment what it would look like if we shifted our conversations and they name all kinds of places, board meetings and classrooms and all kinds of places away from pre preconceived notions of what's possible and instead engaged in shared explorations of what ifs. Hmm. 
I just really think my big takeaway from this book is that that what if question is a powerful reframe for all of us. And I think that that cork under the water waiting to be unleashed is not only our students, it's our teachers, it's ourselves. Um, and that sometimes if we ask a question like what if, or can you, or what would happen, like all of a sudden that bobs to the surface and we're back into curiosity land. And I really think that that can bring us back to a curious stance, a place of wonder and a place of um, pursuing joy and ways that we help one another. Great closing, Audrey, appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in a week or two with a new read. Stay tuned for more information. Until then, send us a tweet with the hashtag SumMathChat. That's hashtag S-U-M-M-A-T-H-C-H-A-T with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on staying curious. Mm -hmm.